0: Pastor Esteban asked me if I could preach last night on team ministry. He asked me today if I could speak on a subject, and he gave me the title. He says, What a Disciple Looks Like. What a Disciple Looks Like. So I brought a picture of Pastor (laughs) Esteban. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No. What a Disciple Looks Like. Now, I understand that we all just ate. It's a different setting. And I'm going to do my best. I'm going to really do my best to try to influence your life with this lesson. So could you give me a commitment tonight and just follow along with me for the next few minutes? Can you do that, please? I really appreciate your undivided attention. I, I've, I, I've learned, I learned something when I first came into a leadership position in my church. I learned the order of being a leader of influence. And here's the order. First you follow first and then you lead second. Too many people have it backwards. They want to lead first and then expect people to follow them. Well I have news for you. It doesn't work that way you must first learn how to be a follower before you can ever start leading if you were there last night i told you five different ways the church grows and if you remember i hope you remember i mentioned to you that first a church grows larger through oh my god you're really inspiring my work last night a church grows larger through evangelism. Okay? A church grows warmer through fellowship. Number 2. Number 3, a church grows stronger through worship. through worship. Number 4, a church grows broader through Woo! Oh, thank you for your honesty. She's looking at her notes. Number 5. A church grows deeper through discipleship. Discipleship is a heavy subject. As a matter of fact, discipleship is not for everybody. It really isn't. This subject is not for everybody because this is another level of followership when it comes to Jesus' ministry. I mean, you had the masses of people that followed Jesus to the mountaintop. But there were very few with him. he was in the desert you know it's not a um it's not a subject that everybody will say that's for me and i'll tell you why it's because it's a demanding subject in the church it demands from your life the subject of discipleship in matthew chapter 28 the famous scripture that jesus gave to us verses 18 to 20 i'll paraphrase it for you what did he say he said and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he said, What? Therefore, and I learned something a long time ago. When you come across that word, therefore, look closely to see what it's there for. He says, Therefore, go ye, right? And then what did he say? He says, and make disciples. People skip the make part disciples aren't born they're made disciples aren't given they're created now here's what I love about Victory Outreach is that we are when I read the scripture the Lord revealed something to me and and here's what he revealed to me that we have been called to make disciples not take disciples You see, Victory Outreach, the uniqueness that we have, and and you hope here, listen, please, by all means, I'm not comparing or putting, making us sound greater or whatever. Okay. Thank you, pastor. Okay. What's unique about us is that we are an unchurched ministry. Uh, We are an outreach ministry. The truth is, is we don't attract church transfer. As a matter of fact, that's the last group of people that we attract. It really is. When they find out that Our children's pastor was did nine years in prison that does not attract church transfers when they find out the pastor was a heroin addict that don't attract church transfers it doesn't we have a unique anointing and I truly believe that God has anointed this ministry victory outreach to literally make disciples is we take you from scratch when I came into Victory Outreach I came in from scratch when I came into Victory Outreach I came in straight from the the intensive care unit at the hospital in Ventura County because I had just suffered a massive heart attack from cocaine overdose that's the only thing I had to offer my church was a cocaine overdose when I came into my church I was made somebody was used by God to make me into the man that I have become today it doesn't happen on its own Today we came in here, most of us, myself, I came in here and I had the privilege, Pastor Daryl, to just come in, sit down, and have a plate of food put in front of me in an instant. But what people fail to realize is somebody made that food. Somebody worked before I got here. Somebody, somebody labored in the kitchen somewhere. Somebody invested their own money into stuff that was purchased. Somebody made what I was freely given today at my table. You know, where are the home directors? Lift up your hand. You. Oh, my God. I feel the reading coming on right now. I truly believe with all my heart, you and every other home director in Victory Outreach are going to have the biggest crowns in heaven. I truly believe that. And I'll tell you why. It's because a a lot of your work goes unseen. A lot of your work never gets acknowledged. I'm not, see from your church, Pastor Seven? I'm not saying he he doesn't give it to you. I'm just saying there's a lot more that you do that the rest of us don't realize. You make men of God in that home 24 hours a day. They walk into that house. They walk into that house. And you take them off of the street. And you make sure that they kick their drug habit. And you make sure that somebody's praying for them. And you make sure. And often, we don't even recognize a man in the home in in a larger church until about four months later. And I'll tell you one thing. There's a lot of pastors that are pastoring Victory Outreach and nobody knows who their home director was. But you guys make them. That's what Jesus has called us to do, is to make disciples. Say amen if you're catching something. Now i'm going to just give to you in my opinion what i feel a disciple looks like write them down number one a disciple is willing to serve okay i'm going to stop there okay because you're going to say yeah 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 yeah." i heard that but let me tell you something you know what knocks a leadership team out of first place Pastor Esteban you know what knocks a leadership team out of first place quicker than anything else the been there done that attitude that will take a growing church and, and make it into a dying church when the leadership starts saying oh we've been there and we've done that you see when you see people get saved in your church that it has tattoos all over the neck, up and down their arms. When you see a prostitute come to the altar and give her life to Jesus, and if you're sitting back in the audience saying, Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been seeing that done for the last 20 years in this church. You know what? You're a, you've just been knocked out of first place. When a church starts growing, the very first thing for a growing church to neglect. Or the things which raised it up in the first place. And sometimes we forget that a disciple is a servant. Now I've always said, how do you know if you're a true servant or not? I have the best answer for that question. How do you know if you're a true servant or not? And I'll tell you how. Is when people treat you like, you, like one and they don't bother you. You see, when somebody comes up to you and says, Oh, uh, AJ, we need for you to bring punch to the life group. And if you, if you have an attitude that says, what do you mean punch? They call me King David on that keyboard. <laughs> what do you mean bring a gallon of punch? I got to, I got to carry my, 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 guitar amplifier. I don't have another hand to bring a gallon of punch. Don't you know who I am? The founder of this ministry. Pastor Sonny Argonzoni. There are, I'll tell you right now, he is probably the most humble leader that I know. He's a CEO, founder of the, probably the, If not the, one of the largest inner city ministries of the world. Is the most humble leader that I know and one of the most greatest servants that I know. I can remember one time I was here in Hayward. We came to visit your dad. Me and Pastor Sonny came and with about five other pastors. And we were there at your house and we came to visit. Pastor Steve Pineda. And as we were leaving the house, you know, uh, back then I had suffered an injury with my sciatic nerve. And I was hurt for five years. I took the cheap route in Mexico on the beach and I paid $5 for a massage. And this person ripped the in side of my sciatic nerve there's no shortcuts <laughs> so when we're leaving your dad's house you know I'm, I'm limping I'm limping because I'm in pain and I get to the van pastor Sonny the founder of this ministry looks at me and he says Fernie here you come in the front seat now could you imagine pastor Sonny in the back of a men's home van the founder of this ministry, right? I said, no, Pastor Sonny, please, no. He said, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're hurt. You're hurt. You, you take that front seat. It's more comfortable for you. I'm okay back here. Many of you know Pastor Sonny owns his own private jet. I'm in his jet with him not too long ago, and I forget where we're flying. And... and, and Pastor Sonny, now I know, but I didn't know this first time I went in his jet, that he has a certain seat that he sits at. That's his jet. He has the best seat in that jet. His seat looks at the navigation, looks at everything that the pilot has access to. So I walk in that jet, and I get in there, and the first thing I do is I sit on his chair. And it's just me, him, and Sister Julie. We're flying to Mexico. That's where we're flying to. And I sit down in the chair. And now, in retrospect, thank you, AJ, I realize now that Sister Julie did have a funny look on her face. Like of being nervous. And I'm just sitting down. I'm enjoying it, man. I'm with the founder. I'm in his jet. We're going to Mexico. He's gonna preach, and here I am, big old smile, in his seat on that plane. There was only four seats at, uh, on that plane, and I'm on his seat. And it, it it gets better. Pastor Sonny looks at me, and he says, "Would you like a cup of coffee?" And I'm like, sure, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll love a cup of coffee, right? And he gets up from the other seat, and he walks over to the coffee place, and he tells me, how do you like your coffee? And he gets that coffee. He brings it back to me, brings it back to me. And he gives me one cup, and he gives Sister Julie the other cup, because that's, Uh, 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 amount of coffee that was left and he sits down and says Julie looks at me and she goes I've never seen him serve coffee before (laughs) and I am so humbled that this man at his position at the caliber of his leadership is a man that still knows how to serve we all can learn from that we all can learn from that many of you know i have the great privilege to uh speak and at at conferences and, and what have you last world conference i preached at world conference many people don't know but yeah i preach behind the pulpit but they don't see everything else that takes place before the conference they don't see us Spreading out banners and getting up on, 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 on the rafters and hanging banners. They don't see that part. I remember walking into the auditorium and the usher looks at me and says, Stop right there. I'm preaching that night, evening service, and my wife is with me. And he goes, You're not allowed in here. And inside of me so bad, I wanted to say, look at the brochure, Mr. Men's Home Resident. (laughs) But you know what was just going through my mind? Me sitting in Pastor Sonny's chair and him serving me coffee. You know what I did that night? I walked back out of the auditorium. And walked all the way around and came in the door that everybody else comes in. Why do I say that? I'll tell you why I say that. Because it makes me look good. No, why? It's because you never stop practicing servanthood. You never stop practicing servinghood. When you're able to model that you can follow is when you get the biggest group of people people that will respect you as a leader. I'll tell you what a disciple looks like. A disciple is willing to serve. Remember James and John in the Bible? Remember they wanted status. I'll tell you why they wanted status. It's just because they were walking with Jesus and there was a lesson that Jesus had to repeatedly teach his status-seeking disciples. Remember they came to Jesus and they felt just because they were walking with Jesus that they deserved a place at his right and his left. And that's when Jesus looked at them and what did he tell them? He said, listen guys, whoever of you wants to be great, then you must be a servant. And you must be a slave to all. I like how he said that. That you must be a slave to all. You know who you're a slave to? Not just those who are over you, but you're really a slave to those who are under you. Number 2. What does a disciple look like? Number 2. He's willing to listen. He's willing to listen. Remember Peter? He was full of the brightest ideas especially on the mount of transfiguration and he just made his great idea to jesus remember that he said i know what we'll do let's do this and let's do that and let's set up a tabernacle here and he came out with his great great ideas but then god spoke from heaven and told peter the bible says that a voice from the cloud came from heaven and said this is my son in reference to jesus and that voice said, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Listen, the disciple listens. A disciple listens. You know, when somebody wants to just be uh, around me or they're saying, pastor, I need, for, I need for you to work with me. Well, when somebody tells me, pastor, I want you to work with me. The first thing I'll ask him is this. Okay, are you giving me full permission to lead you? Because if you're not giving me full permission to lead you, I'm not going to be able to lead you. A disciple is willing to listen. That's a good picture of a disciple. Number three, a disciple is willing to learn. You know, when Jesus spoke of, remember he was speaking of his coming death and his suffering, And Peter, he couldn't help it, but he blurted out, and that's when he said, God forbid. He said, Lord, that this, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus responded like you would never want your pastor to respond to you. That's when he looked at Peter, and what did he say? He said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you were only a stumbling block to me. Listen to me. If you want to be a disciple, you have to be willing to learn. And you know what that word learn is in reference to? Is a word that is called corrected. That's a nice word. In victory outreach we call it a rebuke. Could you handle a rebuke? You know I don't know what has happened sometimes towards these latter, these, these times in victory outreach. It's like some people just can't handle a the rebuke. They can't handle the word no. you tell them no and today they want to post something on the internet that the pastor is leading a cult now if you're following jesus if you were close to him and he called you satan now we know that he wasn't literally calling peter satan but he was rebuking satan but it was because what peter said How would you handle that? What I'm trying to ask you is a disciple is willing to learn. Willing to take a rebuke. Willing to, to accept the fact when the pastor says no. I want you in church today. Not at the game. I want you at church today. A disciple is willing to learn. Number four. A disciple is submissive to authority even when he don't understand or enjoy What he's being asked to do. Now that's a long one, so just write it, paraphrase that. Number five. A disciple examines his own life before criticizing others' lives. You know, that's so important to understand. It's very important to understand. You know, Jesus said, don't judge. Or you too will be judged. Now, I, 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 I've come to the understanding that I'm a preacher. My life involves telling people how to live their life. That's a heavy responsibility to carry on your life. So the last thing I need to do is criticize somebody else's life. If I'm not living the life that I'm preaching them to live. And it's so important un- to understand that a, a disciple knows that. You know sometimes you know when you become a disciple. You know, when I'm talking about disciple is now you're welcomed into an inner circle. Now you're at a different category of leadership in the church. Now you sit in the front section of the church. Often we can... Now start living that life of criticism. Well, a disciple needs to understand that we got to examine our own life before we criticize other people's lives. Could you say amen to that? Now, this is a hard one. But number six, a disciple is forgiving. You know... A disciple cannot be walking around with the uh, holier-than-thou type of attitude. With that Pharisee spirit attitude. You know, as a pastor, as a pastor, you are constantly hearing the failures of people. You're constantly, as a matter of fact, as a pastor, you hear more failures from of people than you do victories a pastor that's all you hear all you hear is is this person's having problems that person messed up this this marriage had an outbreak this these people this this this. that's what you hear christianity is about forgiveness you got to remember the message of the cross the gospel is about forgiveness the reason why God sent his son was not to show off what God can do and not to show off the power of a resurrection but the purpose of the gospel is about the forgiveness of sins disciples listen to me if you want to grow a church you got to learn how to forgive bottom line you want to grow a church you have to learn how to forgive you want to be forgiven you have to forgive just remember that oh I know you don't I know I know you don't smoke crystal anymore I know that was eight years ago but you have other issues in your life like not tithing Number seven, a disciple is willing to follow. I think one of the scariest scriptures in the Bible, and I like to use this when I'm picking up the tithe, is a scripture that says this. Jesus says, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he that doeth the will of my Father. You know, that's very, very scary. And I, and I like to cross-reference that scripture to the guy that says, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And then Jesus says, and I'll look to him and say, away from me, you wicked servant. I never knew you. Whoa, when I use those scriptures, I get like the biggest tithes in my church. But those are heavy scriptures when you really, really pay attention to those scriptures. Now, God's will is that none shall perish, but that all should have everlasting life. But it is also the will of God for you to be in his good, pleasing, and perfect will itself. You have to be willing to follow. So, I think that's what a disciple should look like. I'll close and I'll end with a second part. Is, what should the discipler look like? You know, we have a responsibility too in making disciples you know you know man it's so true the leadership law that says you reproduce who you are that's so true you attract who you are (laughs) you do reproduce who you are if you are committed you will reproduce commitment if you are on fire you're going to reproduce a fiery people If you live a compromised life, you will reproduce compromised people. You reproduce who you are. Remember when Paul told Timothy. He told Timothy, he says, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. But then he came at him. And he said, but set an example. Set an example, and then he begins to tell Timothy how to set the example. And he tells him about three things. He tells him, set an example in speech, by the way you speak. Set an example in conduct, by the way you behave. Set an example in purity. And it gives us a challenge as a discipler, what we need to look like. See, we always want people to look a certain way, but, and we we want them to live up to certain standards. But listen to me. Listen to me, man. The truth is you reproduce who you are. That's the truth. Why did Jesus reproduce those great, those 12 great men? Why? How great were they? They were great enough to become martyrs to see this thing called Christianity take off. Why were they martyrs? Because their leader was. You can never ask somebody to do what you don't do yourself. So we influence people every day of our lives. Now here's the scary thing about it is that even if you're an introvert and there are introverts here. You know who you are. You know who you are. You're the kind of person that don't like to fellowship. You don't like to talk to people. You would just rather just be all by yourself eating popcorn, watching a movie. Even that group of people influences other people on a daily basis. You know how many people an introvert influences in an average lifetime? If you are an introvert, your average lifetime, you would have influenced 10,000 people and not even realize it. When Paul writes, be an example, you know what he means? He means to be a role model, is what he means. You know, today a lot of people look up to superstars. They look up to uh, movie stars. They look up to pop stars. It's time that this world starts looking up to the bright and morning star that should be seen inside your life. You know, uh, um, lift up your hand if you ever bought a brand new car. Okay, God bless you, man. No hands would have went up in 1980, I'll tell you that. Okay, but you know, th- th- there's something about that brand new car. If, if, you, if you backtrack that car that you drive, you're going to find that there is always that first car off of the assembly line, and it is called a Prototype. A prototype is a car that has been assembled, that from there on, all other cars would be made after that prototype. Dressmakers, they study the pattern first, and then they design the garment after the pattern. When Paul, or what Paul is writing to young Timothy about is that when he's telling Timothy that when you talk about Jesus, people should be able to see Jesus. It's like, I don't know about you, but uh, lift your hand if you ever went to the dentist. Okay, lift your hand if you absolutely love going to the dentist. No, but... When you go to the dentist, when you go to the dentist, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tempted to see what his teeth look like. (laughs) I I am. I really am. It's like I go there and it's like, it's like I'm just, uh, I, I expect his teeth to be perfect. Or when you meet a gardener, right, a landscaper, right, you expect his front yard to look perfect. Or if you decide that you want to start exercising and get in shape and you hire a physical trainer, then you're expecting that physical trainer to eat right, diet right, and exercise right. We just naturally expect that. Paul is saying that if we call ourselves Christians, then people should be able to see Christ That's what's expected of us. If you're a discipler, that's what is expected of you. Somebody once said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. That's heavy stuff. Man, when you've been preaching for a long time. When you've been preaching for a long time, I told you last night. I've been preaching since I was 18 years old. Every single week, twice a week, sometimes three times a week. This week, this is my fourth time preaching already. I'll preach again tomorrow, for, uh, another time. and I'll preach again, again before uh, uh, this weekend. I preach a lot. You know what I've? You know what I've? Finding out all these years of preaching, people don't want to see how well of a preacher I am. They want to see how wild of a model I am. You know, it's harder for a pastor. Vic knows. I mean, he was an evangelist before, and now he's a pastor. Man, when you're an evangelist, oh my God. Like, like today I'm almost serving like an evangelist. I come here, I tell you, you better do this, you better do that, and you better do this. If you want all this, then you better have to do this, and blah, blah, blah. And then where's Pastor Fernie on Sunday? I'm not here. I'm gone. You don't know if I'm practicing what I just told you to do. But when you have sheep that look at you from week to week to week, I got to pray about what I'm going to preach. And I got to think twice about what I'm going to tell them to do because they see my life and saw my life since I was 16 years old being part of that church. Somebody said, I'd rather someone walk with me there than point me there. So true. Disciplers, listen to me. You don't point your people where to go, you walk with them where to go. You know, the eye, your eye, my eye, is a better pupil and it's way more teachable than the ear. Those of you who are parents here, just ask a child. It seems to be that children do what they see quicker than what they hear. Oh, yeah. I find out a lot about parents just looking at their kids. And people have found out a lot about me by looking at my kids. Basically you know, you could be a great counselor, and the honest truth is is, find counsel. It could be confusing at times. But the truth is is, examples are always clear. <laughs> are you guys catching this here? You know, you know, me saying that quote, what I just said, fine counsel could be confusing at times, but examples are always clear. Basically, what our disciples are telling us inside of them, sometimes is, here's what they're saying. No, they're not saying it with their mouth, but their heart is saying this to you and I. They can say, this is what they say. They say, I can see your hands in action, but your tongue runs too fast. You hear that? You know, I, I may not understand you and the high advice that you give, but there's no misunderstanding how I act. You know, you've you got, you got to pick up on this stuff here. Paul says, you got to be an example in your speech. In your speech, listen to me, disciple. You, we got to be very careful what comes out of our mouth around people. I tell you right now, every time you speak, your credibility is at at stake. Oh yeah, you know, you, you know, you know, with people, with people, it, it is like this with people too. Anything you say and do will be held against you when you preach. The trouble with words is that once they are spoken their impact is felt either positively or negatively and the sad thing about your words is you can't take them back you can't take them back listen to me discipler we must be careful what we speak and how we speak around our disciples you shouldn't be saying I can't believe we're taking up pledges again. You shouldn't be saying, I can't believe they want us there an hour early. You shouldn't be saying, I can't believe they're preaching about the tithe again. This is the fourth week straight in a row. We're not going to grow our churches like that. We're not going to win the world like that. There's bartenders that are more confidential than some Christians. This article says, my name is gossip. I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. My name is gossip. I break hearts and ruin lives. I am cunning and malicious. And I gather strength only with age. The more I'm quoted, the more I am believed. My name is Gossip. I flourish at every level of society. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me because I have no face. To to track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I am nobody's friend. My name is Gossip. Once I tarnish a reputation, it is never the same. I topple governments. I wreck marriages. And I ruin careers. I cause sleepless nights heartaches. I spawn suspicion and generate grief. My name is gossip. I make innocent people cry in their pillows at night. Even my name hisses. I make headlines and headaches. Before you repeat a story, ask yourself, is it true? Is it fair? Is it necessary? If not, shut up. I've seen gossip destroy churches. Discipler, be careful what you say around your disciples. I end it with this. In Psalms chapter 19, verse 14, it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. The words of my mouth be pleasing to you. Maybe they, uh, can you come on up here, AJ, and start playing something? Somebody said a careless word may kindle strife. And a cruel word may wreck a life but a gracious word may soothe the way and a joyous word will light the day a timely word may lessen the stress and your loving words will heal and bless so I ended with this listen to me leaders listen to me disciplers If you want to know what your words should be let your words number 1 be comforting We deal with a hurt people The worst thing we could do is somebody come and tell you their failures <clears throat> and you hand them a shovel to help bury them They come to our church and to our ministry hurt And people get hurt. They get hurt in the church. The worst thing we can do is let not our words be comforting. Let your words be comforting. Because people have wounds that you can't see. Secondly, let your words be uplifting. You know people get torn down by criticism and discouragement let your words be uplifting when's the last time you told somebody that yes they can do it yes they will do it when's the last time that we've told somebody that when's the last time we lifted up somebody in the church And listen to me. You don't have to have a microphone in a pulpit to lift up somebody. All you need is a cell number. All you need is just five minutes of your time in the back of the sanctuary somewhere. All you need is just 15 minutes outside in the parking lot when that discouraged person is walking to get back into their car because God didn't touch them at the altar. That's when you're able to be used by God. You don't need to have a pulpit to uplift somebody's life. You don't need to wait for a booking to uplift some life. We are disciplers. <laughs> Thirdly and lastly, I close with this. Let your words be calming. Calming. As leaders, we should never be alarming our followers. You know, one of the greatest examples is, remember September 11th when that happened? Remember when America was under attack. And if you remember clearly, President Bush was a president at that time. And if you remember where he was at. He was at that elementary school. And he was just uh, making an appearance with these kids. And you remember, that first plane was launched into the first tower. And President Bush was informed of that. But when the second plane hit the tower. If you were watching the news or if you saw all the documentaries that were on just a few days ago, you remember that what did they do? President Bush was sitting down just like this. And his secret service men came up to him or whoever those people in position were. And they came and they whispered in his ear and they said, Mr. President, America is under attack. A second plane just hit. That World Trade Center. Now, do you remember what President Bush did? I loved his calming spirit. This is what he did. He just went like this. And he modeled that there's nothing to be alarmed about discipler, people are looking at you people are looking at you don't model panic don't model stress don't model defeat let your words be calming When they say so and so left the church, be calm about it. Then that's when you say, "Let's go get them." You don't respond and say, "Oh my God, our church is falling apart. Oh my God, we're bringing under attack. Oh, we're going to be destroyed. I'm leaving too." Model and let your words be calming is this okay for you guys it's fundamental basic stuff i understand that but in a growing church this is one of the first things that we lose and i pray victory outreach hayward never loses the fundamentals of what a disciple looks like and what a discipler should be modeling stand with me tonight and i want you to clap your hands and tell god you don't ever want to be out of his will